Hello, and welcome back to another episode of I'm Free Now What? With me, Michelle Fortier, a licensed clinical social worker in private practice in the state of Florida. Today's wonderful topic is going to be conduct disorder. What is conduct disorder? Well, conduct disorder is one of the requirements for somebody to be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, which is that whole thing that people can be diagnosed with when they decide they want to break the law and do other harmful things to people, property, and all that stuff. So in order to have antisocial personality disorder, there has to be evidence of conduct disorder before the age of 15. Now, with conduct disorder, it is generally diagnosed in children, and there are two different types of conduct disorder depending on uh, age. And it's not even really two different types. There's two different outcomes that we're looking at when we're looking at the age that the child is diagnosed. So we have childhood onset type of conduct disorder, and that is when a child is before the age of 10 and exhibits the symptoms that I'm going to go over. And then we have adolescent type, which is where we're seeing the evidence of conduct disorder after age 10. So with that, we then look at what the trajectory is. When we have children that have these symptoms of conduct disorder before the age of 10, we generally see poor outcomes unless there's heavy duty interventions. And even then we're looking at reducing the harm that they can do. As um, adolescent onset, it tends to be that for some of these children, they just outgrow these behaviors. It is a way of rebelling, a way of making sure that they are independent. Sometimes it's just a part of adolescence to break the rules. But before age 10, we can just say that these children, they're just bad, bad. So I'm just saying that in jest because obviously, you know, Children are not bad, they just have difficulties. So I'm gonna go over, I'm gonna look through my DSM-5 and go over with y'all about what the symptoms of conduct disorder are. So with conduct disorder, they the symptoms are broken down into little subcategories. And in order to meet the diagnosis, a child only needs to meet three of these things. Now, the child needs to meet three of these things for at least uh, one year prior to when we're looking at that child. So if we see that child, they are 12 years old, we need to have seen these symptoms from 11 to 12, the 12 months prior. The behaviors also need to be persistent, which means that they need to be, um, you know, sticking around. It can't just be a one-shot deal. And generally the symptoms are that they're violating the rights of others and breaking the rules and or breaking the rules, right? Violating the rights of others is also generally breaking the rules, but violating the rights of others and breaking major rules. So this isn't petty little stuff, this is big stuff. So let me go get into the meat and potatoes of this diagnosis. So the first little category that we have is aggression to people and to animals. So in this nice little category, we have where the child often bullies or threatens other people. We also have where the child initiates physical fights. We have where the child has used a weapon against somebody uh, with the intent to intimidate or harm. So they have used a knife, a bat, uh, thrown a rock at somebody, you know, all that, that not so great stuff. 
Then we have has been physically cruel to people. We have where they have been physically cruel to animals. That is never a really good thing. When, we're, when I'm looking at childhood behaviors and I see cruelty to animals in the, that past, a lot of red flags go off for me because being cruel to animals, sometimes even the most ruthless killers, ruthless killers that I have met, ruthless killers, they will still be kind to animals and will just, sometimes they'll kill the people that are cruel to animals. They just love their animals. So that's a big deal. That kind of shows like some things aren't just firing correctly. So then we have stealing while confronting a victim. So this is where somebody, a child mugs somebody or um, walks in with a pistol and robs somebody. Um, then there's also the other one where they have forced somebody into sexual activity. So that's a nice little subcategory of physically cruel to people and animals. The next little subcategory that we have is destruction of property. And here we have two different things. We have deliberately setting fires. This is not, I like to play with matches. This is, I want to see your house burn down. I want to light your books on fire. I want to um, burn the forest down. So it is deliberately setting fires with the intent of destruction. We also have where these children sometimes will deliberately destroy people's property. So this is child gets mad, child then takes a golf club and hits the windshield of parent's car. Uh, we also have where child is mad at mom, takes mom's coin collection and flushes it down the toilet. So we have where they are deliberately trying to destroy uh, other people's property. The next little subcategory that we have is deceitfulness or threat. So some of these children will lie, 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 lie. They will lie to con others. They will lie to get out of trouble. They will lie. Some of them lie for absolutely no good reason. It makes absolutely no sense. Sometimes it's easier for them to tell the truth if they still lie. It is what it is. There's also where they have broken into somebody's house to steal something. So this is different than mugging somebody. Um, this is where they have broken into a house, they have broken into a business, and broken into a car and stolen from that person. There's also where they have stolen items of non-trivial value, uh, such as shoplifting. Uh, also where they have... Um, stolen uh, by going into somebody's house but not by breaking and entering so this is they're at somebody's house and they see some money laying on a table and they take that money uh, they just they do things like that they just steal everything I used to say this some of the people that I would work with in the prison system I would have to make sure I had nothing around because some people they would just steal just for the sake of stealing it didn't even make sense they just like to steal and some of these children also steal by forging documents. So they forge checks. So some of these children, you can now leave a checkbook laying around. They have figured out how to forge a signature and steal from your bank account. Uh, steal credit cards, steal credit card numbers, um, charge things on credit cards, um, steal money from relatives. They just steal. If it is not nailed down, they will steal it from you. 
The next little category that we have are serious violations of the rules. So this is where we have children that run away. And to meet this criteria, a child needs to stay away for at least um, overnight, at least twice, and, or they need to run away once, but stay gone for a lengthy amount of time. The DSM-5 does not give us what the lengthy period of time means. Uh, I guess it's up to looking the clinician looking at what's going on and what's occurring to come up with lengthy. The other one is, is that the child stays away from the home before the age of 13 despite parental prohibition. So you say you are not going to your friend's house. Child is 11. Child says, Psh, screw you, mom. I'm going to so-and-so's house. That right there is the violation of this, the serious violation of rules. The child just does not listen. The other thing in there is a big one uh, before age 13 if the child is truant from school. So if the child is already cutting class before the age of 13, red flag, red flag, red flag, your child needs some significant and serious help. Now with this, it used to be in the DSM-4-TR, there wasn't a specifier, but people fought like hell to get the specifier because it means something. So some of these children have what we call a lack of pro-social emotions. And what that means is that they exhibit behaviors like callousness and a disregard for people's feelings. They feel um, zero guilt, zero remorse for what they've done, except sometimes it can be confusing. Sometimes they get you. You think that they're remorseful, but what they're really remorseful about is that they got caught, not that they actually did what they did or harmed anybody. Then we also have something where there is a lack of attachment to people. So they don't really care if they disappoint somebody. Um, what this looks like, so some children, when you're working with them and they have conduct disorder, you can sometimes motivate them to behave more pro-socially because they have an attachment to an adult. They wanna make that adult happy, they like that adult, they want that adult to be proud. Some of the children don't really care. They don't care about anybody. All they care about is themselves. They just do them. So the, the um, ability to connect with others and attach to others can really help with being able to treat conduct disorder. So it's really important if we don't have that because that would mean a different approach. The other part of lack of pro-social emotions is a shallow affect. What that means, our affect is our emotional, what we, what you see. So like if I'm crying, that's a sad affect. Um, if I'm happy, that's, a, you know, you see a smile, that's that affect. With some of these children, they don't really feel too many emotions. They tend to feel angry, frustrated, bored, and okay. But they have learned that they need to look sad when people are acting a certain way. So they will put on the sad face, but once that passes or they're realizing they're not getting what they want with the sad face, that affect can go away quite, quite quickly. It's not like it sticks around because it's not genuine. They don't have that genuine sense of feelings and emotions. Now, with those limited pro-social emotions, 
we are contending with a much more difficult case to treat. So if your child has those parts, really, really, and truly get professional help. It is not going to go so well if you don't. Now, with these children, what we absolutely know, especially if they had these limited pro-social emotions, especially if the conduct disorder is before the age of 10, we are going to have much more difficult time with getting these children out of this. Because what we know is that there are actual brain abnormalities. Their brain is different than other children's brains. One of the key differences is that their prefrontal cortex is smaller. There's also less activity and all this other stuff. So what that means is that we have to step in and make sure that we teach these children what doesn't come naturally to them. It's just not there. The prefrontal cortex is there to help with impulse control and learning from experience. If they don't intuitively have that, we have to teach it to them. Otherwise, they're going to be all sorts of messed up. So with that, what we um, are going to do is what they call a behavioral reward system. And what that is, is that a child does not get anything unless they earn it. These children do not often learn from punishment. What that means, regular, normal children, I use my little air quotes to say normal, normal children, you they do something wrong. They fail a test, you take away their phone. You take away their phone for a certain amount of time or till they pass the next test. The child is able to say, oh, this behavior had my phone taken away. I better tighten up and make sure I do this behavior. Children that have these difficulties that lead to the diagnosis of conduct disorder, they can't put it together. They just see the person that took their phone away from them as being the biggest asshole under the sun. They don't see it as my behaviors led to this consequence. What we do know about these children is that they respond very well to rewards. So what this means is that the child doesn't get anything, no phone, until they do X, Y, and Z. And there's like a whole behavioral reward system. It's called a token economy, blah, 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 blah. And it's a good idea to sit down with a professional if you don't know how to do a token economy on your own. And they can be complicated. And the whole thing about a token economy is that the child has to want to earn what um, is being offered. So if your child has absolutely no interest in the telephone, they're really not going to do much to get a telephone. It's just not how it's going to be. But if you realize that your child really likes, um, I don't know, some sort of game, some sort of computer game or video game or something like that, and you say, well, you can get uh, an hour of your time if you complete X, Y, and Z, and uh, then they go do that, then you give them their hour. And the hard part for a lot of parents is that you're only paying attention to certain behaviors and you have to reward those behaviors. So even, uh, so say your kid does what they're supposed to do to earn that game, but at the same time tells you F you, you still have to give them the reward that they earned, even when they said F you, unless it's part of the token economy and then they get a token taken away and then they can't do it.
So there's all these different ways to do it. Really sit down with an expert on this so that way you can address these concerns. And let me touch on experts about this. Be careful, be mindful, figure out who is going to be best be able to work with your child. I myself have encountered um, therapists and professionals that believe that conduct disorder cannot be treated. Uh, they um, don't think too highly of these children. They don't really want to deal with them. Even if your insurance covers them, don't go to them. It's just going to make the situation worse. Find somebody that can treat this. If your child is severe in this, there are placements throughout the country that can help your child so that way your child does not go down the path of incarceration. There is one program that I'm thoroughly impressed with and I wish it was all over the place, but unfortunately it's not. This one is out of Wisconsin and what's cool is that it is under the Department of Health as opposed to being under the umbrella of DJJ. It's interesting that it's under the Department of Health instead of juvenile justice because it's considered a treatment program as opposed to DJJ being a punishment program that is under the guise of treatment, but we all know how that works. So this right here, it is the Mendota, Mendota, Mendota uh, program. And with that, it is a highly structured program where the children earn everything and the success rate is quite high and what they determine to be successful is that the children do not commit any major offenses against people and they compare it to a group of children that have similar um, backgrounds similar things like that and then they go ahead and they um they look at what their recidivism rate is, what their crime rate is, and all that other stuff. And the children that go through this program tend to do much, much better. And so that is one of the programs. And now I wanted to touch on something else about the brain abnormalities. So we know that there's this brain abnormality, but there is not really um, an understanding of exactly why. So the current belief is that there is a predisposition to have this brain abnormality due to genetics, but it's really the environment that brings those uh, symptoms out. Um, and if it's a more um, kind environment, an environment that puts these stricter controls in place, um, that these children then don't have the ability to put down all the additional neural pathways that allow for the criminal thinking patterns to flourish. So there is this belief that both there is a predisposition, but the environment really um, re uh, reinforces the predisposition. It's kind of like where um, somebody has a predisposition to be six feet tall, but if they went through malnutrition, they might only get to five feet. So this right here, they might have a predisposition for these brain abnormalities, but they might not play out. We might also, the brain is very um, plastic. It's called neuroplasticity, where we can actually change neural pathways based on experiences, and we can learn how to compensate for the things that we lack. So our brain can actually put down little divergent paths and all this other stuff if the brain itself is not the way that it is supposed to be due to genetics and all that other stuff. 
There is also another uh, treatment and that one is called the Good Lives Model. And that one is where children are taught how to substitute behaviors for other behaviors in order to live a good life and not get in trouble with the law. And I will do a video on that one as well because I find that one to be very interesting and very helpful. So I hope that you enjoyed this video. I hope it was informative. I hope hopefully your child does not have conduct disorder, but if they do, please go get help for them. We can stop the trajectory. We can stop them from going to prison, but it requires intervention. So please go get help for your child if you see them with these symptoms. If you found this video helpful, please like and subscribe, and of course share. Any questions, any comments, leave them in the comment section. If you have any direct questions that you don't wanna leave in the comment section, you can always hit me up on Instagram by um, direct message, and uh, I am more than happy to answer your questions or help point you in the right direction of somebody that can. In the meantime, have good mental health and stay free.